Do you know that they're going to put Holmes West houses next door to us? And that's pathetic, isn't it? So, so who's in favour? Shall we, shall we start a church petition or say we don't want Holmes West houses here? Oh, wow, I mean, look at the quality. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's okay. You're not next door to us. And you know what? I was, I was up in the city the other day. I was at the ATM. I was trying to draw some money from the ATM. And there was this, this bum sitting there on the bench saying, Oh, mate, can you give us a dollar? It was actually an older gentleman. Uh, and he was not that sort of voice, but can you give us a dollar? Can you give us just a little bit of money? Get some warm coffee. It's freezing cold this morning. I gave him a dollar, but who knows what he did with it. Probably went out and got drunk on a dollar. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? In South Africa, you could live, we did live in a beautiful suburban area. But you could get in the car and within half an hour, quarter of an hour, you'd get to a suburb where you wouldn't get out. And as you reach the outskirts of the city, you'd find the slum region. We had people that came in and worked for us, um, did, the gar- did the gardening, lived out in that part of the world. And it's easy to say, yeah, well, that's Africa, it's a third world part of the world, but you know what? There are so many Charlies around us today. Now, I'm sorry for picking on Holmes West. (laughs) (laughs) But, But haven't we heard so many people saying, Holmes West brings down the value of my property. Haven't we heard, don't give any money to people who don't have jobs because they will go and drink it. And don't we act out of that sort of paradigm, get your own way right. Don't come and ask me for a handout. This morning we're continuing our series on the essentials of our faith, Christianity 101. Uh, And we actually started last week and we looked in Jeremiah chapter 23, which was a, wow, an interesting passage. But today we're going to be moving on and and Luke chapter 16. I I was reading a book and and this passage was mentioned in passing and I had to go back and and reread the passage like two or three times because it just jumped out at me. This passage speaks so much about what it means to be a person of God in our world today. What it means to be a person who follows after Jesus. Who came, as he says in Luke chapter 4, quoting Isaiah chapter 61. Uh, I'll read it for you rather than misquote it. Luke chapter 4, round about verse um, 16. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is the mission of Jesus that He announces in His hometown, I have come to do God's work, and this involves release for the captives, freedom for the blind. 
new life for those whose life is nothing. And it's an interesting little, little segment that we have here in Luke chapter 16. Chapter 15, we've just heard about the, the parable of the two sons and the one that runs away and the one that stays sanctimoniously at home. And Jesus, at the beginning of chapter 16, has just been telling another parable about money. And we get to verse 13, 14 of chapter 16, and we see the Pharisees standing there, listening sort of in on what Jesus is saying. He's not speaking to them. They're just listening in. And they hear him saying that you cannot serve God and money. And they sneer at him. They snigger at him. They're sort of that, 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 that sanctimonious, ha, what on earth does this fool think he's talking about? You see, the Pharisees back in those days, they were the good people. But more importantly, they were the wealthy people. You know, they worked out of this theology that said, if you are in God's good books, God will give you lots of cash. Things will go well with you. Things will succeed. And, and it's not a bad theology. Deuteronomy chapter 28 is, is quite clear on this. If you follow God, God will bless you. If you reject God, you will face God's anger. So there's something true in that. But, but they've taken this to the level that said, if you are not wealthy, if you are not good like us, if you are not religious like us, <laughs> forget about it. And, and I would commend them absolutely for saying we want to be in God's good books. <laughs> but you know, Jesus turns to them and he calls their bluff. Verse 14, verse 15. And he says, you, you people, how on earth can you say this? You like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. And the story which we're going to look at today, the story of Lazarus and the rich man, or Charlie and Patrick, is the story addressed to these Pharisees. These people who are so good at looking righteous. These people who apparently are blessed by God, are in God's good books. These people who have all the rules and regulations that say, I will follow these and then everyone will know how fantastic a person I am. And even God will be impressed, won't he? And yet these very self-same people who can look at the Charlies, at the Lazaruses, at the beggars and the bums and the homes west tenants, <laughs> sorry, and say, I don't even think I should speak to you. You are so far beneath me. If you were holy, if you were good, if you were a true believer, you wouldn't be in such a bad situation. So let's have a look at this parable. It's a great parable, and it's just got so much detail in it. It's, it's actually a unique parable to Luke. None of the other Gospels has got this parable. And it's also a strange parable because it's the only parable where the characters are given names. Usually it's just a certain man or a landowner. 
But here we have two names. We have the name Lazarus, and we've got the name Abraham, who stands for Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord and do funny things with our feet. Let's have a look. Jesus said there was a rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen, who lived each day in luxury. Now, first off, I said this is one of those parables where, well, it's the only parable where people are named. And it's quite telling for me that when Jesus speaks about this rich man, he doesn't give him a name. This is just a a, a prototype. This is a, a person who stands for all those who are rich. No. This stands for all those who in their riches deny the riches of God. See, what do we learn about this man? We learn that that he dressed himself in purple clothes and fine undergarments. Purple, the dye made from mollusks, I think. I believe it was actually later on the the reason Britain was so sought after was because the shellfish grew well there and they could get the dye there. But this is expensive stuff. Getting purple dye If you dress in purple, you are wealthy. Fine linen, Egyptian. This man is wealthy beyond comprehension. And we learn that even more because what does he do all day? Does he go out to the office? Does he earn a living? Does he trade shares? No, he sits at home and he has fun. We're told there that he actually, that he parties. Uh, Your translation might say he lives in luxury. Uh, the, the, the Greek there speaks about living in merriment, living in enjoyment, living in festivity. This is a bloke who spends his time idling away his wealth. This is not just a rich man, this is a filthy rich man. And there he is enjoying himself, having fun. And at his gate lies Lazarus. Now, I, I, Lazarus, this poor bloke, can you just try and picture him lying there at the gate? Somebody has brought him, can't walk, and he has been laid down at the gate. And it's not a small gate, like sort of a fence picket gate. It's a big gate, like the entrance to a, to a palatial house. And he's there, and he's on the ground. And he is starving. Can't work. Got no relatives to look after him. Maybe he called in his last favor to get placed at Lazarus' doorstep. All over him are, are sores that are weeping. bloke is in agony, lying there. And he's there because he wants, maybe, maybe Lazarus in a, in a fit of kindness will toss out his breadcrumbs. But he just lies there. And the dogs come. I love dogs, but you know how rough their tongues are? 
Can you imagine a rough dog's tongue scraping over those weeping sores? It's rather disgusting, isn't it? I hope you are disgusted. Being licked by those dogs, having this discharge. Lazarus, ceremonially unclean. Unfit to go into the presence of God. According to custom. Unfit to be touched. And he lies at the gate and he hears, I'm sure, the sounds of the party inside and the clink of the glasses and the, the chomping of, of chicken. I'm sure they ate chicken and, and lamb. And, and he just groaned. And we're told that eventually Lazarus just dies. We're not told if, if, if the rich man ever does give him food, but I think it's pretty clear that he never does. He just ignores Lazarus lying at the doorstep. Oh, he's seen him. He knows him. In fact, we'll see later on as he's in heaven and hell, we'll see that, that the rich man recognizes Lazarus. He knows his name. He knows the difficulties that Lazarus has been through, and yet he does nothing to help. And Lazarus dies, and the rich man dies shortly afterwards. And even in their death, there is inequality. We're just told Lazarus dies. The rich man dies and is buried. He's got a father, he's got five brothers. I'm sure they had a massive funeral. Pomp and ceremony, laying him in state, putting him there. Oh, what a great man our brother was. Oh, what a wealthy man our brother was. Let's reminisce about the party we had last week. There he is. Oh, how sad. Is Lazarus even buried? And yet, what do we find? We find that Lazarus, Lazarus is taken by the angels in Jesus' story up to heaven where he, where he rests on Abraham's side. That's the picture. Back in those days when you went to sit down at a table, you'd lie down on your side um, and the, the best place to sit was next to the most important person. And what you do, you'd sort of lie down with your head sort of on them, almost. What a turnaround. Here is Lazarus, who has spent his life lying down in the mud and the dirt outside the gate of the rich man. And he dies and he goes to heaven and he is lying down next to Abraham, next to the father of faith at, I believe, the great feast. And for all the pomp and ceremony of the rich man's funeral, what do we find? Well, we find he's also gone somewhere, but it's not up to heaven. It's down to hell, to the place of the dead. Hades. Before we go any further, I think we should say, this is a story about heaven and hell. And it teaches us quite a bit about heaven and hell, but, but let's not take it as literal, figurative, literal descriptions of what heaven and hell are like. It's, it's a parable. Um, 
just because the rich man could see Lazarus doesn't mean that people in hell can see those in heaven. Um, that's not how it works, really. But, but what Jesus is trying to do here is trying to give us an insight into what happens after death. But more than that, he's trying to give us an insight into what happens after death as a result of what happens before death. He's trying to tell us the consequences of our decisions here on earth. Because what do we find? We, we, we see Lazarus there, his name meaning God has saved. God has redeemed. God has helped. And he is helped by God. And we see the rich man in hell. I don't like talking about hell. But I think we have to be serious and say it is a real place. And it's not a pleasant place. This rich man was in torment in hell. Describes it like the flames are are burning him. And yet he is not burnt up. (laughs) And it's not like he's suddenly gone to hell and he's not the same person. Here he is in hell, in the flames, looking up towards where he could have been, where he should have been, and he recognizes Abraham. And he recognizes Lazarus. And he remembers who he is. And he remembers the fact that he's got a father and five brothers. But you know what? Most significantly, I don't think he has changed a single bit. Death for him has made, well, the only difference it's made is that there's now a bit of pain. You see, what does he do? He's there, and there's this gorge between heaven and hell. And he's looking up, and he recognizes uh, Abraham and Lazarus. And he calls out, Father Abraham! Would you send Lazarus over, dip his finger in some water, uh, and put the tip of it on my tongue, just because it's, it's hurting? It's not nice here. Two things to pick up from that. Father Abraham, can you hear the cry of somebody there who thinks, I have a right to be with you? Here is a rich man, a Jew, a Pharisee in the context of what Jesus is saying, a man who thinks that he is in God's good books, who thinks he is a true child of Abraham, and he looks up and he says, Father Abraham, As if to say, I have a claim on you. I have a right on you. You are my father. You are my relative. Now you must act because I shouldn't be here. Father Abraham. That's the first thing. He thinks of himself as having been hard done by. There is Father Abraham who should be treating me better. But look at the other thing that he does. And and this just smacks of arrogance and hypocrisy and it's just disgusting to listen to. He says, Abraham, 
Would you send Lazarus over to me? I think it's quite telling that in this whole story, the rich man never addresses Lazarus directly. Never says, Lazarus, old chap, would you come over and give me some water? He knows his name. He knows who he is. But as far as the rich man is concerned, Lazarus is just a lowly person who should be serving him. Lazarus should be serving him, thinks the rich man. After all, he was the beggar in the street. After all, he was ceremonially unclean. After all, he never had the good things, and he doesn't understand the good things, and so he should just do his job and serve me. Now, this is exactly the same attitude, I believe, before he was dead, that the rich man had. There is Lazarus. Should I help him? No, why should I? He should be serving me. He should be serving me. And Abraham... You know what his reply, we, we can read it in sort of a, a, a neutral emotive voice. We can say over there, son, um, son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything that you wanted. If it were possible for someone in heaven to cry, I think Abraham would have been crying. Do you remember the rich man looked up to him and said, I claim a relationship to you, Father Abraham, Father. And Abraham looks back and says, Son. Son. See, the difference is, the rich man is, is a descendant of Abraham by genetics by heritage. But not by faith. John chapter 13, chapter 12, Jesus speaks about that and he says, you know, not everyone who claims to be a, a child of Abraham is really a child of Abraham because Abraham is the father of faith. In fact, the New Testament unpacks that a bit further on. A and yet... As one of God's people, this rich man, he should. Ah, oh, son, you had your good things. And Lazarus had evil. Now, the reply is interesting because it says, you had your good things. And Lazarus had evil. In other words, you had the stuff that you wanted. You were blessed. You insisted on having your cake now and eating it now. And your choices led you to where you are. 
because you know this this rich man with his wealth with his with his blessing from God he was so in such a position to help and to bless others there was a man at his doorstep lying at his gate asking please can I just have something to eat and Lazarus, Lazarus, not Lazarus the rich man said I choose to party I want my good things and this Lazarus is getting in my way I want my good things now And Abraham speaks on and he says, basically, son, justice has been served here. But more than that, it is now too late. This picture of the chasm, of this, this deep gorge that cannot be crossed from side to side, that isn't just naturally there, that has been fixed there so that you cannot go from one side to the other, nor that side back. And what a good thing that the gorge was there. You know, I, I, I look at this rich man, and I reckon his attitude was so much, I deserve the best. I deserve the best. I deserve to be in heaven. I deserve it. If he could have crossed over, he would have done it. Not to say he would also have got out of the flames, which would have been a big motivation, I'm sure, but But he couldn't. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over from us to there. And what does this rich man do? Does he repent? Does he say there, oh, I was wrong? Does he turn to Lazarus and say, Lazarus, forgive me. I had the wealth. You did not. Why didn't I help you? Does he do any of that? No. He turns around and says, it's not fair. Father Abraham, I've got five brothers and I want you to send Lazarus, again, send the boy, get rid of him, send the messenger, send Lazarus and warn my brothers because otherwise they will get here to the same place. It's like you're saying, I have been cheated. If somebody had warned me, I wouldn't be here. This isn't fair. And in Abraham's reply, we learn absolutely the shocking truth that, that his five brothers and this man himself were not godless men. Well, they were, but they didn't think of themselves as such. They were those versed in Moses and the prophets, otherwise known as the Bible, as the book. Abraham says to him, you know what? They've got the Bible to warn them. Implicitly saying to this rich man, if you had looked and read, and not just read, but stuck it into your head and lived out of this, you wouldn't be where you are. 
you know, there's one thing that, that keeps popping up, <laughs> and there's a lot of things that keep popping up in this book. Be holy, for I am holy. Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 18 or so, where God is speaking about the tithing. Why do they tithe? To provide for those who have nothing. For the widows and the orphans and the Levites who have no property of their own. So many times, God says to his people, I want you to look like my people. I have chosen you. Now will you choose to follow me? And not just lip service, not just being seen to do the right thing, but with your heart and with your soul and with all that is within you. Would you be like me? The God who, who heard, heard your cries while you were in the land of Egypt. When you were in distress and slaves and you could do nothing to save yourself. And saved you. The God who has always saved you when you were in need. Last month we looked at the Psalms and we heard how we can pour out our lives to God and He listens and He answers and He saves us. Rich man, you've got those words, you've got that example. And yet this man is so besotted with his life and his lifestyle and his pleasure that he cannot change. He refused to change his whole life. And he knows his brothers are the same. (laughs) They won't change. It's not enough. And he says, you know, as, as Reg pointed out, verse 31, if somebody, if somebody was raised from the dead, they would believe. His final defiance, he says, you know, if I had irrefutable proof that things needed to be different in my life, I would have changed. And Abraham and Jesus says to the Pharisees and to, to all those today who are in their position, he says, no, you would not. talking about hard-heartedness, about hard-heartedness and enjoyment and selfishness. We're doing a series on the the fundamentals of our faith, the, the basics of Christianity. How does this fit in? First off, if we are to be God's people, I believe, says Jesus, we need to be people in spirit and in truth and in action. What does James say? James says that faith without works is dead. 
not good enough to be Christians in church on a Sunday. And then to go out and see a homeless man on the street and think, ha, pathetic. It's not good enough to, to speak about how different houses are going to lower our property value perhaps. It's not good enough to complain about the neighbors down the road. It's not good enough to, to do any of these things. It's not good enough to, to, to hear the news that there are people starving. Overseas, yes, but in our own city. And sleeping out in that weather that we can hear outside. And let's go have some coffee. There's a passage in your bulletin. I believe it's the one I put in there. Can I have a look, Raymond? No, it's not. How rude. (laughs) There's a passage where Jesus says, you know what, you don't pick good fruit from a bad tree and you don't pick bad fruit from a good tree. You know the tree by the fruit that it gives. And our choices have consequences. If we pay lip service to Jesus, if we think that we can just do enough to please God enough, then unfortunately we won't be there with Lazarus and Father Abraham. Am I saying that we're saved by what we do? No, I'm saying that that what we do shows whether we are saved or not. In the disciples' prayer, Jesus says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As in heaven, where Lazarus, who was lying on the ground, destitute, is honored and helped. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day and for those who have not our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses for we acknowledge ourselves so much like the rich man. Father, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from our own selfish pride. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory that will be from forever to forever. Amen.